Welcome to the Worldwide Golf Shops Insider Podcast, episode 337. Hello again, everyone. Tom Brussell here. Thanks so much for joining us. Whether you're a first-time listener, long-time subscriber, somewhere in the middle, doesn't matter. We're just glad that you're with us. Our special guest joins us from out in Carlsbad, California today. One of the few times he's at home. He's the director of global tours for TaylorMade Golf, Mr. Chris Trott. Trotty, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you with us, my friend. 100%. I, uh, I'm honored to be on. Thank you for making the time to, to talk golf. Yeah, we love it. That's what we do here. Tell us about yourself, Chris. I mean, you, your background is very extensive. Our, our listeners may not know about it, but it's the greatest game in the world. How did you get involved in it? How did your love affair with this game start? Well, I mean, as you can tell, my, my accent, I'm not, I'm not a New Yorker, and I'm certainly not <laughs> an L.A. guy, even though I live out here. So I'm from Liverpool, England, um, which I'm actually from just south of that, but Obviously, Liverpool football team is kind of, and the Beatles have put that town on the map. So I'm from Liverpool um, and started playing golf like many of us as, as a kid. Uh, formed a, my, my dad took me to the golf course and from there you spend so many great hours as a kid with your parents learning the game. And, and just my dad, my mum didn't play, but, but just great entry into the game. And then at sort of 15, 16, Faldo, Woosnam, Sandy Lyle, those type of players. And I guess I'm showing my age now, but they were obviously had done so well in European golf. And I decided I wanted to try and become a player. So I gave up every other sport pretty much, which for us, soccer is like baseball is here for kids. So gave that up, gave up cricket. I was playing and I just focused everything on golf and, and became quite good. And, uh, Held a card at one point on the Challenge Tour in Europe, which is our sort of corn ferry, but it was a low-ranked card. I mean, to say I had great status would be uh, would be lying. But, I mean, I, I did okay with it. And in the meantime as well, I'd become a PGA professional. So I'd um, gone and done my training. And I was at a complex in the UK called the Belfry, which hopefully you guys remember from Ryder Cup battles. And I was working there. At the time, in the early 2000s, opened up the first uh, million-pound driving range range facility. Um, those facilities hadn't really come to the UK, to be fair, and we had this huge driving range complex that opened up. So we go in there, and TaylorMade put a suite in there, a custom-fitting suite, and it was when club fitting was really taking its birth. And myself and another colleague, who actually now works at TaylorMade US as well, we killed it on sales at a Greengrass account. People would come in. Obviously, TaylorMade was booming, as it, well, it has really ever since. Started talking about club fitting, had a lot of passion about the golf clubs. I'd come at it from a playing background, so was now learning all about the club fitting and the technology and the engineering. And then a quick story, Paul McGinley was, came one day, just held the putt at the Belfry, and he came like a week or two later to do a company event for TaylorMade. I was in the suite. McGinley comes in and there was a guy called Tom Olofsky who came with him all the way from Carlsbad, who was set to speak to these VIP representatives that turned up for TaylorMade. I didn't know that. And I sort of emceed the event with McGinley, took it over and went through it all. As that finished, Keo, they now call him, he works at Cobra Golf. Um, he went on to say, hey, you know, I came all the way from Carlsbad to kind of run the show, but you were doing so great. I just let you go. 
obviously I felt so embarrassed then because this guy had come from Telfad who said engineer. And I'd gone away and, and ran the show and was like, oh, sorry, sorry. Anyway, the week after, another guy turns up, goes to a club fitting, and I fit him for a 580XD Grappoloi Pro Light Red, which I'm sure you'll remember, 35S, 15 inch, his length, his swing weight. And the guy says to me, oh, uh, he's Irish, so apologies for any Irish listeners, but I always <laughs> like to try and do the accent. He's like, oh, I, um, I didn't come to see to get the golf club. I came to see you, he said. And obviously, I, I'm getting like a percentage of the commission of the sale, so I'm gutted because this guy's not buying the golf club. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? And there and then, he offers me a job on the European tour for TaylorMade to go and travel the world. All those names I'd mentioned before were still in the twilight of their career on the tour. So I got to work with them. And it, it, the, the events went from there. I mean, I worked five or six years on the European tour, driver count battles for TaylorMade, fitting some great players, learning so much, seeing some amazing places in the Middle East and Asia. Then I relocated, moved to Asia and lived in Hong Kong for three years and sort of pioneered the Asian tour, some of Japan, Australia for TaylorMade. That's how I came into the role more I'm in now. And then TaylorMade bought Adams Golf, and I was brought in to help with that exercise in terms of bringing it into the company, how the strategy changed a little bit, and learned a lot more about business. And then I found myself here in Carlsbad, and now I'm out on the PGA Tour working a lot with that team, um, doing a lot of short game stuff, still do Metal Woods and Irons, but a lot of short game stuff as well. So it's, it's been an awesome journey with... I'll be honest, an amazing company. I've had some amazing times with this golf company, and they've really shone and led the way with technology and everything. It's, it's been brilliant. It's been a great journey. Well, when you dove into the pool head first, I think that playing background was the thing that you had in your back pocket that really brings you a lot of credibility, doesn't it? I think it, it's a big, helpful piece with tour players. Um, if you've played two a level because with clubs equipment and you'll understand yourself that obviously you can find new clubs and you can get new clubs that you like, but they need to perform under pressure and they need to be right for you when you're trying to hit certain shots that I can't relate to these guys when they're trying to hit shots to win major championships, but I can understand what it's like when you've got a tough shot, Tom, and you want to hit a certain shape or you need something that you can rely on. So I think that I had success on tour because the players could, certainly before the launch monitors, they realized that I was looking at clubs as a player. And if something wasn't right, you know, I was interested. Let's fix it as a player. Let's get it right as a player. And then we'll go from there. Because there's a lot of pressure on these guys to play the modern day equipment, to play the stuff that's fresh out that year. And sometimes you have to massage it in, and other years it goes in instantly. It's, that's one of the most interesting parts of the job that I've had, um, is, is really just connecting with these guys. And certainly when I first came out on tour, because I never got there myself, to try and live it a little bit through them as well and see what goes into, you know, certainly when Rose won at Marion. I was quite close to him in terms of what he was doing at that time to, to, to win that tournament. And I mean, man, that guy sacrificed a lot in his life to get that victory. Jason Day and the PGA Championship, he won. It was the same thing. These guys were, and any kids out there listening who want to do this, they give up so much to do it. And I, when I look back and 
do I have, because we're talking about the playing side, any regrets? I think I sit here and understand I might have been able to get onto the European tour at some point and held a card maybe for a year or so. But to have a career doing this and then to reach the pinnacle that those two names that I've mentioned reached, you've got to be giving up so much and be prepared to, because someone will. And, you know, those guys, hats off to what they achieved and the relationships they had with their equipment at the time and the relationships they had with their coaches and their physios and their dietitians. I mean, it's a big effort from a lot of people. No kidding. And I'm some, a wise man once told me who played the tour, he said, if you can count the number of times in your life you shoot 65, you don't need to be doing this. <laughs> because if you can count them, you don't need to be doing it. What's a typical week look? like for you try i mean what's it i mean I, i'm sure there is no typical week this certainly is one you're at home but tell us about you know how how it works for you now over here in the states well covid has changed a lot for so many people and to be honest with you tom i i really took advantage of it and i spent a lot of time making content and putting it out now social media is so prominent and golf is catching up and i spent a lot of time putting stuff out on Instagram, YouTube, and really trying to educate the consumer about products. So a typical week for me with my current role and what I do for TaylorMade, I'll head out on a Sunday, go to the tour, work the event Monday. Tuesday is always our busiest day. So I label that Tour Truck Tuesday on my social channels and people who follow me can see what we truly do. And I'll capture a lot of that. Then Wednesday mornings is finalizing any products that we've worked on with players to try and get in that week. And that stuff, that work is done based on the golf course. So Hilton Head this week, the boys will be working on fairway woods and rescues probably. And any tweaks of drives. I know Dustin Johnson is looking at putters this week because he felt he didn't putt very well at Augusta. So he's looking at that. So it's an ongoing thing now this time of year when you're working with players through to what will be the PGA Championship, which is literally in a few weeks now. So people are already thinking about that. What do I need? What clubs do I need there? Then for me, I'll capture a lot of content now on iPhones or other cameras that I perhaps use, bring it back, do any tour reports with the marketing groups here back at TaylorMade. It's obviously a Zoom world right now, so Teams or Zoom meetings on that. But I'll also try and put as much as I can I'll edit that, refine it, and put it out on my own channels to help support people so they understand what, you, what does a loft sleeve do? What, what are tour players doing with the Sim 2 fairway wood or the Sim 2 max fairway wood? Why are they doing it? How can that help me when I'm living in Florida playing off a 15 handicap? What do I need? What can I learn? So I think in the last 18 months, two years, I've really tried to use as much of the knowledge that I've gained over the previous 15 to help people make better purchasing decisions on their golf clubs. And, it, and it's, it's having a great effect. I mean, people like it. It's, uh, it's good. So I think as long as people keep commenting and liking it, I'll keep posting it. Now, the tour changed up a little bit, what was it, a year, a couple of years ago, where now we've, starting in March with the Players' Championship, a pseudo-major, a fifth major. we got something every month now. What, what's different about a major when you hit the grounds at one of those courses? Is there, is there anything big? Obviously, one for these guys, it's a lot of pressure. But what's different about your week that week? Each major, it's a good question, and each major is different. When we get to Augusta, you have the group of players turn up that are, are ready to go. Dustin and company that are the modern-day A+, they're ready to go. 
US Open will be the same unless you get a curveball and you get there and you're like, oh man, I need a 64 degree wedge or I need that wedge that has the wider sole. That will be work that you'll usually do at a US Open or a golf course where they haven't seen before. So the PGA can throw that one up. You go over to the open and a lot of the time we will bring out a new UDI or a long iron and the week can be consumed with trying to figure that out. I mean, you, I remember grinding the back off the first uh, UDIs we had because someone wanted to play a certain shaft that gave it a different swing weight, which is a balance point, And they didn't like that. So we had to manipulate it and get it right for that week. That is a usual open championship thing. Where, again, I mentioned earlier, but when Rose was on staff, we'd always look at wedge bounces and the width of the sole so that through the thicker European-British bunkers, you could get that club going through. Then Augusta, you know, you get some of the, the text messages from the past champions. That's a lot of the stuff you get. Like Weir is usually tweaking, although this year he's been more organized than previous years because he's playing again, because he's playing Champions Tour. But for the, so when he was 47 to 50... That guy would turn up and have things that he needed because he's not seen a tour truck in ages. Woosnam, he'd do that. So you, you masters, you get some of the old relationships turning up. U.S. Open and PGA is very much golf course specific. Often guys are in the flow and playing well, so they don't touch stuff. And then Open Championship, just to summarize, is often wedges for those certain bunkers and then twos and one irons and specific clubs for that given week. Charlie, what do tour players that you work with do? Just a couple things that they do that might be just everyday hat for these guys that a normal amateur player, if they would do, could benefit from it. A couple things I think of right away are grip changing or loft and lodge, something like that. What, what could what could an amateur benefit from by going behind the scenes with a tour player, what they're doing? Great question again, and absolutely in my wheelhouse. And the one thing, there's two things, but the number one thing is analytics. If, if a weekly golfer or a bi-weekly or three times a week, if you keep analytics, and Taylor may have a product called My Round Pro, it's great. It's labor-intensive a little bit. It's great. There's an Arcos product out there. Honestly, I don't mind which one you choose to go for. But if you can keep your analytics, then all of a sudden over a 90-day period, just do it for one season or for three months, you can then have some information, some data that is going to give you something that you can realistically stand there and factually say, I didn't achieve this goal or I did achieve this goal, to keep it positive, because my approach play from 150 to 110 yards was X. If you can do that, that is what tour players are doing. Then you can make calculated decisions on what golf ball you play, on what club setup you have, et cetera, et cetera. The next biggest thing about a tour player versus a weekend warrior is that they are decisive on what they like and they are decisive on what they want. And one of the biggest things that I preach and what I would always do, if someone comes to me for a fitting and it's a commercial fitting, or it's an amateur, I will always start by saying, well, what do you want? Because at the end of the day, if you scratch that itch for the tour professional or for the weekend golfer, and you truly give them a face angle, a balance point, even if someone doesn't know what a balance point is, they will be able to pick up a golf club and be like, okay, that feels light. 
I like that. And then if the fitter is good, they'd be able to take it away, measure it, and make the set of golf clubs around that feel that an individual likes. And I think that that is where we're going with golf clubs. That is where we're going with what we're learning from tour players. That the, the consumer can have what they want, but they do need to know what they like. And I think that as we get into that realm, certainly this season with Sim 2, Sim 2 Max, next season we're going to see even more. And I'm doing a lot of work with the custom people at TaylorMade to be like, are we offering that? Because that, I think, is where things need to go. And we can start to then understand what we want as a golfer, be decisive, and if we have facts that is data, which is becoming a data-driven world now, as, as much as you know, I, I'm old enough to remember life without phones and without data, and it was great, but also these things do give us good information to make great choices about our hobbies and our lifestyles that we can then become better at certain things. And at the end of the day, if you become better at it and you beat your mates and you win some money off them, then it's a good feeling, right? We all know about that. Boy, that's great advice. Yeah, the, the days of somebody on tour saying, oh, I'm a field player. I don't need all those analytics. Those days are gone, right? Completely. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got our analytics now, Tom, for each golf course. And, I mean, why did Rory play the Phoenix Open this year? Because the analytics told him this venue should suit you. Now, look, it's analytics. He didn't go on and win it this year, but he had a showing. He was around. And for a player to set their schedule based on data and golf courses that suit them or what flags to go for, I mean, those guys are deep diving into it. So if you as a weekend golfer or a casual golfer can start to capture your data, it's, it's night and day. It's game-changing. Well, I tried it. We could go on and on, and I know your time's limited, but I want to ask you one final question. And you mentioned coming in, you're doing a lot more nowadays in short game. What can talk to us about putting in particular, and what a, the right putter could mean for a player who might be using, like you said, something that he likes versus something that probably really would work for him. You know, this is an area for me, and I'll be I'll be honest with you, and I, obviously I'm tailor made pro tailor may been there for years, but I don't, don't love the shape of mallet putters when you look down at them. I just don't. Coming from a playing background, they're just not, I'm just not in love with them. But the more data I've seen over the last decade, certainly the last three years, the more information, you cannot argue that a high-stability putter that has a deep CG, so the center of gravity is back, and the MOI, the moment of inertia, the, so the, re, the likelihood not to twist on an off-center strike. And, and we know from at the kingdom, which is our fitting center, when people come in and hit putts, and when I see people, I'm talking Jason Day, John Rahm, Dustin Johnson, Rory McIlroy, that caliber of player that I've seen in that fitting suite, they don't hit the middle every time from 15 feet, which means that you need energy transfer to the ball, energy transfer being speed off the face. Then when you delve deeper into the analytics, which is why TaylorMade made the spider putter to have the deep CG, to give you the role, why it's got the pure role to insert in that putter to get it going, which again gives a better overspin. The data will show you that players leave putts short. And again, I've put something on YouTube. I don't have the numbers right now, but you'd be amazed. 12 foot and in. Players are leaving something like 40 or 35% of putts short. And that's the tour average. 
So as you go on and you get into the data and you look at it, you're like, well, if the tendency on tour, and I might have gone slightly high on those, those percentages, but they're high. But if the percentage of players are leaving it short, then what am I doing? Because I'm not as good as them, or I'm not playing as good a green, usually as good a greens as them, unless you're very lucky and you play a great country club or somewhere. So pace is everything on putters, and you have to get the ball past the hole. So to summarize, a mallet putter, if you can find one that you like the look of, and you can then use it over a bladed putter. That's the one piece of advice that I could easily give over a, a, a podcast like this or a call where, look, use a mallet with insert technology that improves the role and you will become better because in a round of golf, there will be between half a shot and four shots that you are losing based on your handicap purely from a missed strike in the putter and it not passing on the energy, the inertia to the golf ball, which is resulting in you leaving it short. That would be one thing I would look at instantly. Chris, before I let you go, you mentioned social media where you post stuff. Where can they find you? Trotty Golf, is that right? At Trotty Golf for Twitter? Yeah, you've got it. It's Trotty Golf, and uh, Instagram is my main place, so T-R-O-T-T-I-E Golf. And uh, I've put a lot of stuff on YouTube now as well. Through, again, through COVID, I mean – Try and take advantage, or I did try and I did take advantage of all this extra time that we had not traveling. Now it's amping up a bit, thankfully, and we're all getting back to where we need to be, which is brilliant. So I'm not sure if I'll be able to keep the current pace up, but there's a lot of stuff in there about where you can go as a consumer to get the right information so that, you know, I feel so sorry for some of these guys that go in and go in unarmed. You know what I mean? You wouldn't go and buy anything now without looking at reviews. So I try and keep it as open as I can, as fair as I can, but so that the person watching it can understand that, you know, we're on their side as golf companies. We want people to leave with the best golf clubs they can so they can have the most enjoyment. Because at the end of the day, that brings people back. And golf's got so many people, new people to the game now. We've got to let them see how great this game is. You and I touched on it at the start. It just can create so many great memories for everyone with relationships with your kids, friends, spouses. It's, it's awesome. It really is a great game, and now so many people are getting to experience it. Chris Trot, this has been a, uh, a real treat, Trot. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. Uh, maybe we can do this again down the road because Anytime. there's so much more we can do, it, uh, but it's been great. Thanks so much, my friend. Safe travels on the road, and uh, we'll see you down there. Awesome. Thank you, Tom. Take it easy. Well, a lot to be learned from that interview. Life on tour with Chris Trott and also how some of the things they do on tour can help your game. More, most importantly, one, analytics, track what you're doing. And number two, just because you like don't like something doesn't mean it's not good for you. In case in point, with the mallet putter and the spider putter, data has proven that it can help your game. Well, special thanks to... Chris Trott from TaylorMade Golf for joining us today and to you, our listeners. And we'll do it again next time. We have another episode of the Worldwide Golf Shops Insider Podcast here at WorldwideGolfShops.com. So long, everyone.